Hello, you're listening to Which Moving Pictures Move Us, and I'm your host, Emma Bolzner. Since Valentine's Day is approaching, we are doing the lovely romantic drama Sense and Sensibility from 1995, based off of Jane Austen's novel, starring Emma Thompson, Kate Winslet, Alan Rickman, and Hugh Grant. And with me virtually is my good friend, Hannah. Hello! Thanks for coming back on the show! Oh, of course! It's always a fun time, and I do love me some Austen. I know, and I'm just thinking we have been doing period dramas because we just did Bridgerton, and and now we're doing Sense and Sensibility, so it's like period drama month. I do know that you're not a you weren't a huge fan of Bridgerton, but I know you like this one a lot more, so I'm glad I got this one as opposed to Bridgerton. Yes. So, for those of you who haven't seen this film, Sense and Sensibility follows the Dashwood sisters Eleanor and Marianne, who, after their father's death find themselves living in poverty and must leave their home because, well, all women in those days could not own any property. Their only hope is to find an eligible match in order to survive and make means for themselves. Eleanor is the sensible and repressed sister, played by Emma Thompson, who never shares what she's feeling and basically takes care of her whole family. Marianne, on the other hand, played by a very young Kate Winslet, literally wears her heart on her sleeve and doesn't shy away from emotion. Will these two heroines find love, or will they be poor spinsters for the rest of their life? So, Hannah, what do we think of Sense and Sensibility? So, I'm a big fan of the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. It's one of my comfort movies. If I'm having a bad day or just need something on in the background, I'll usually throw that one on. Um, and so, with the with my, my knowledge of Austinian... Um, sort of period drama adaptations, I, I was kind of going into it with that sense. Um, <laughs> uh, but I actually didn't know the story of Sense and Sensibility before coming into the, before watching the movie. I knew vaguely that it was going to be Austin's typical fare of, okay, uh, we've got sisters and they need a marriage so that they can sustain themselves and their family. That's the premise. Um, so I, there for me, there were like plenty, plenty of like really great things to say about individual elements of the movie. Like the, the acting in it is incredible. Mm -hmm. The score is beautiful. All the settings are just really great. But I feel like the story has like five too many subplots. There's so much happening all the time, mm. and there are so many characters. What I what I find so intriguing about Pride and Prejudice and why I think it's stuck around so long is because it's it's Lizzie and Darcy circling each other constantly. They're always sort of like like circling around each other and are like, oh what? No, gross. I don't like them at all. No, what are you talking about? No. Um but I feel like with this, it's like there's there's too little of the of the sort of chase between Emma Thompson and Hugh Grant and um, the the whole uh, saga with um, uh, Alan Rickman's character felt like it was a little too underdeveloped as well because they didn't really get a lot of interaction um, him him and uh, Kate Winslet's character there was. And not to mention the whole London subplot, there was there was a lot happening and it made it a little difficult to follow. Whereas I find with Pride and Prejudice, it's very it's like we are in our location and we're gonna like we have our few key locations and that's it. It's not quite as yeah. it's not quite as sprawling. And I think the other thing that stuck with me and why I wasn't like fully keen on it was because, you know, the 2005 one is like very cinematic and it's very like <clears throat> filmic, I guess. Whereas with uh, the two with this one where it was done with just 10 years earlier, um, it, it has very much the, the approach that people used to take with period dramas where it was like a stagnant camera in a fancy room and people yes. are going to act around it. It's very much more like a stage adaptation that was filmed, I find, as opposed to like a movie, which is, I think one of the things that threw me off with it a little bit, but again, it, individual elements of it are great. Like Emma Thompson is killing it. Kate Winslet killing it. Um, but there were the, 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 some of the like many, many subplots really threw me off and it was very difficult to keep track of, who was where and when because there were just there was so yes. much happening all the time that was my general sort of consensus with it yeah 
Yeah, those are some really good, and that I never thought of it. It is very much like a play. There isn't really any zoom camera lenses like going into like people's faces. It's very much like still the camera through scenes, and it's like just characters are walking in and yeah it's very much like a play and I also agree that I had forgotten how little Hugh Grant um he's played um his character's Edward how little he is in the movie and you know there aren't actually that many scenes between Emma Thompson Eleanor and and Edward like you said about Darcy and Lizzie Um, very, very different. Yeah, he's, he's there at the beginning, and that's sort of like the foundation of the relationship. But then they like barely run into each other again before the third act, and like he's he's talked yeah. about quite extensively, but he's rarely present, which doesn't do a great job of selling the reason why Eleanor is still attracted to him. At least in Pride and Prejudice, you see Darcy and Lizzie interacting in different ways, and you can see their relationship build. Whereas with this one, because Eleanor and Edward are so, like, we see so little of that relationship, it doesn't really sell the fact of why she's so relieved that he isn't married by the end of the movie so that she can be with him. It doesn't really do a great job of, like, selling yeah. it. Yeah, I totally I totally agree. I think um, Willoughby, who we're not supposed to like, but I think John Willoughby and... Marianne had much better chemistry than, um, well, then definitely Colonel Brandon and her. I didn't find that they had any chemistry. No, they didn't. But I thought that they had definitely much better than Edward and Eleanor. They didn't. And also, I think it was the, the, the very severe age difference between Alan Rickman and Kate yes. Winslet. Oh it, it really threw me off. I was like, this, I, because my impression of it was, okay, well, it's not going to work out with Edward, so Eleanor's going to go for Colonel Brandon because just the age difference between them felt a little bit more legit. Um, And, oh, Willoughby, the one thing I've learned from these two (laughs) really core adaptations I've watched of Austin is never trust a character whose last name begins with the letter W. You had uh, Wickham. So the W. Wickham Wickham (laughs) in Pride and Prejudice, absolute nasty man, do not recommend. Willoughby didn't go about things in quite the right way and ended up paying the price for it. Um, Yeah. So, like, honestly... I, I can understand why we, we are not supposed to like Willoughby. And I was I was very mad at him when I found out that, you know, he was being a stinky man. But also I was like, well, but I mean, oh, come on. He and Kate Winslet have such good chemistry and their age difference looks I know. appropriate. Um, it, it really did. I, yeah. It was tough to hate him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay, maybe Jane Austen has something going here. She doesn't like anyone, any man with the last name W for anyone. <laughs> maybe she's like putting something out there for us. Never date someone with the last Watch name Watch out. <laughs> Watch out. They're like bad army men. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> Scoundrels. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> But I know their chemistry. I had a really hard time hating Willoughby, and I always do, you know, like their meet cute scene when she, you know, falls over in the hills and breaks her ankle and he like carries her. It's so much nicer than, you know, the scene when Colonel Brandon is lifting her. Um, Kate Winslet honestly has something with rain and water. I don't know. I guess water yeah. <laughs> water always attracts yeah. her. <laughs> but too is that I found that the actor who played Willoughby um, or just Willoughby's character in general um, in that like picnic scene he had with the family had great chemistry even with Eleanor I would have been happy if he ended up with Eleanor and I actually did a google because I was like this actor seems so familiar he was on the crown that's why he seemed familiar Um, but um, actually that's like Emma Thompson's current husband they married in 2003 and I was like hey (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they met during this movie, had very little scenes together, and then they got married. And they have apparently, like, kids together. I was going to say this, too, to you. I didn't know if you knew. But, yeah, they, they met on this set and they started dating. Apparently, she was married at the oh. time um, during this movie. Ooh, so a bit of, like, some scandalous thing going on. But, yeah, they, they're still married, like, almost 20 years now. I, I just think that's so crazy because... He seems so right with Kate Winslet, and to think that they were kind of like, 
dating. <laughs> yeah. But the I will say hats off to 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 Kate Winslet for nailing these unconventional romantic love interests. And there was her and Jack Black in The Holiday. There was her and Alan Rickman here. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, Kate Winslet's really a magic sauce here for these guys." Yeah. She's always with the unconventional guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except at least, again, in the holiday, the age difference seemed appropriate. Oh, Alan Rickman. He's like, he was a yeah. great choice for Colonel Brandon. And his, his, he was doing an absolutely incredible job in the role. But if, if the movie had been done like 10 years earlier, then I could see mm-hmm. it like working. If, if he was like 10 years younger, I could see it working between him and uh, Marianne. And like, I get that... He was like, it was like 20 years ago, he had his great love in Eliza and it didn't work out. But because Kate Winslet looks so young and because he looks so much older, it was just like, I do not feel comfortable with the energy that is happening in this room. And what's even weirder is um, his daughter, his ward, Eliza's daughter, who we find out later, is like older than Marianne. Like, she's yeah. a couple years older than her. And it's like, oh. And, and in real life, um, Alan Rickman's, like, 30 years older at least ah! than Kate. No. Or something like that. Oh, God. That's. No. That, yeah. ah. Like, I can only imagine the. And I can understand, like, okay, we'll marry him because he's, like, in line to inherit something or whatever. But, like, my God, he's, like, 20 years older than you. He's old enough to be your father. Ah, <laughs> I know it's it's very weird, and then there it kind of just you know has that like very climactic scene of her. Oh, you know, well, spoilers here, but this is a pretty old movie. I mean, I I think people know of the story, but you know, she basically is on a deathbed because she's just heartbroken that Willoughby doesn't choose her, and he just kind of ghosts her, <laughs> basically in like the modern day yeah. terms, and she's heartbroken, and then there's the big climax. And, you know, she just kind of lives and then she looks at life differently. And then all of a sudden, the last five minutes, she starts kind of courting um, Colonel Brandon and he gives her a piano. And and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they're married. (laughs) Yeah. And though I will say her wedding look was quite something, though I do take issue as of like hobbyist fashion historian. I do slightly take issue with the wedding look because of the fact that white wedding gowns were not popular until uh, Queen Victoria, which would be uh, after Regency era England. Yes. So Victoria. the fact that she yeah. uh, she was wearing a white gown instead of something that was like, you know, maybe in like a pastel shade, you know, something like really, really nice. Obviously they spent money on it and like power to them but i feel like the fact that it was white you know had was more a choice of like mm-hmm. we need to make sure that our 1995 audience knows that she has gotten married despite all of the like partying and them coming out of a church and yeah. <laughs> i think that's where the 1995 Pride and Prejudice miniseries does really well if when at the end when you know everybody's gotten married you know the, the brides are not in white they're in very very nice clothes uh, but mm. they are not in white the white wedding dress was not a thing until Queen Victoria yeah not at least till the 18 1840s she married Albert so not until after that but um, was I'm always confused was Eleanor getting married too because she doesn't wear white she has she has like a white dress on but she has like a Spencer coat a brown Spencer coat on above it so I think the intention is that like she and Edward are engaged at that point and that they're like next to get married um but I don't think they they were obviously were not the like main attraction but you can tell at the end like they are supposed to be together so they're likely engaged or like very close to being engaged um but I don't think they got married at that point. I don't think I don't think they'd want to do a double yeah. wedding. I feel like that would raise costs significantly. <laughs> I know. Well, they do it in um, the miniseries Pride and Prejudice. True, but with considering Jane they're and, marrying Darcy, Lizzie. <laughs> she's Lizzie is marrying Darcy, yeah. who is whole loaded. <laughs> exactly. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, because I love this character, uh, Little Margaret, who kind of gets overlooked, and that's Eleanor and Marianne's younger sister. Man, the amount of age gaps. 
Um, like Emma Thompson is so much older than Kate Winslet, yeah. and like I, I, big age gap, and then the huge age gap between like Margaret and her two sisters, who she's like eleven and or twelve, and they're you know um, Emma Thompson is I think she's playing about a twenty year old, and she's thirty six, and then Marianne's like seventeen, and Kate Winslet's twenty, so she's closest to the age Kate Winslet. But yeah, what did you think of Little oh, Margaret? Best part of the movie best part of the movie she is like if lydia and kitty from pride and prejudice were just one human being had no knowledge of any sort of romance and were much more adorable she was absolutely great i love me a spitfire kid in these like period shows i always think they're so fun and the fact that she like had a tree house and wanted to travel and was asking all these questions she was adorable and her little dresses were so cute her curly hair was adorable i just i loved her so much I would watch a whole movie with just Margaret. Yeah. She was barely in it, and i that's the crime of this film. She should be in it much more, and I, I love that usually, you know, the younger sisters are always annoying, or like you said with Pride and Prejudice, Lydia, those girls, they're all just into guys, and I love that she was just in her own world and kind of was her own explorer. She was unapologetic. She was intelligent, which is so nice yeah. to see. She didn't care what anyone thought. Yeah, 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 and I loved in the beginning where she was like, hiding in her treehouse and hiding under the table. I was like, is this going to be the running <laughs> gag? Are we never actually going to see Margaret? Because that would be hilarious. <laughs> uh, but then, of course, she gets drawn yeah. out by Edward, which is fine. Um, and I loved that introduction. But I was like, is this just going to be the running gag of this movie? Is this just going to be that we never, ever see Margaret? Ever? That actually would be funny. <laughs> that would have been really funny. She exists somewhere I in love this house. Put- she exists somewhere, but uh, <laughs> who knows? I love when he, um, like, her kind of opening scene and Hugh Grant comes in, Edward comes in and he, he sees the book kind of hanging out under the table and he, like, pushes it in so his mean sister doesn't yes. see. Yeah, that was so cute. <laughs> so cute. And, or, and, and in order to lure her out, they, like, say the Nile is in South America and all these places and she that's the only way to get her out is to be like, no, yeah, do you, don't you guys know anything? Yeah, it was <laughs> so, so, cute. so sweet. And then he, um, he, Edward, you know, plays with her. He fences with her and, and then kind of like once Edward leaves, Margaret is less and less in the picture. Um, they kind of, you know, ridicule her when she talks a bit too much to the so-called yeah. strangers and neighbors. But it was, it was um, I will but, say it was very yeah. funny when, when, uh, her, her mom was like, if you don't have anything nice to say, keep your comments strictly yeah. about the weather. Like the, the, the <laughs> old version of you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. I thought that was very <laughs> funny all, yeah. because my, I have a little brother, he's 17, but you know, when we were younger, we had to make, we had to yeah. like really... Um, make sure that, you know, I, I was a very mannered, well-mannered kid, I like to think, but Andrew was a little bit more of a wild card, so we'd have to be like, okay, Andrew, these are the topics of conversation you can touch on and nothing else. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. But, you know, kids are so curious, and and it's nice to see that, you know, and, and I love the F for Ferris scenes with the silly old woman uh, and the man. Yes. Uh, they're so funny and then when she says to Eleanor um what key would you like to play your song F in major. F for sharp <laughs> F major sorry F major so funny yeah that was that was a very very it, it really did a very good job of showing like Austin's ability to do like wordplay and um make her stuff quite humorous um you know I did have a good chuckle a couple times um couple times throughout uh not as much as i've laughed at the at the 2005 pride and prejudice because i'll always love yeah. mr and mrs bennett so much uh and think their relationship is just like top tier but uh, there were quite a few moments here where i had a good chuckle to myself and that was one of them definitely i did find the mother mrs dashwood to be really annoying i didn't yeah, like her no also her eyes were too blue she was definitely wearing contacts uh in that last <laughs> yeah. scene when like they're like he's kneeling down um <laughs> like her eyes were like popping off the screen i was like you are wearing contacts um <laughs> I think, honestly, the, like, silly old woman was doing a much better job at being a mother figure than their mother. Like, 
she was doing a much better job um because like you know she was in london with them and she was looking after them and was making sure that they were looked after and was making sure they got to all the social events um now that i've seen bridgerton i know what the role of a mother is like especially for girls who are supposed to be out in society um so um she was doing a much better job of that i think than uh than their actual like mother not to say she didn't have her merits of course but she was definitely not she was she was not a mrs bennett and she doesn't have to be but it wasn't as engaging as i think it could have been yeah and and it really seemed that that eleanor was the mom like she kind of even when you know um kate uh, um marianne is crying and everyone starts crying and it's like oh god you know they're all a bunch of silly old women um and then eleanor always has to pick up the pieces yeah she's she's the one who's got her head screwed on right she's the one who's keeping her level head and making sure that things still happen she's the one who's like making the grocery lists and she's the one who's like trying to find them a new house and she's really the primary caretaker of the house and so you can't help but think that you know if she'd been born a boy how would their situation have been different yes yeah because she's got all... Sorry, can you repeat if, that again? Uh, if she'd been born a boy, how would things have been different, you know? Because it's like, oh, she's she's taking yeah. on all these sort of typically masculine responsibilities. So it's really interesting to, to think about, you know, if she had been born as a boy, would Marianne and the whole family had to move to the country? Could she have contested her right to inherit her father's fortune? Uh, all these different yeah. questions... And, and, you know, as a woman, what a, ter- a terrible time to be a woman, but, you know, you'd rarely get marriage for love. And as a woman, you really can't win. I mean, you can't make your own income. You can't even own your own property, even though your father only has daughters. You know, that's the whole big problem in Downton Abbey is, you know, Robert only has three daughters. And then who's gonna have the property when he dies and that's like the whole big plot but you know and then they also can't win women in these days because you know they can't show too much emotion because that's just really bad and then if you show too little that's weird too so it's like you're always stuck like always a rock and hard place for these women it's just awful and she even says on when she's riding horses with um with Edward, Eleanor, she says, you know, well, at least you have your own way in the world. At least you can make your own income. You know, don't try to compare your situation to mine kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, they, they've got no choice. And it's it's interesting to see how they <clears throat> maneuver through this world, um, trying their best to, you know, keep their heads above water. And make the best choices they can in a world where their choices are little to nothing, close to nothing. Yeah. And I, I think it it was best done. Have you seen the new um, Little Women yes. by Greta Gerwig? Yeah, and I love Florence Pugh, uh, Amy's scene when she's telling Timothy Chalamet's character, Laurie, you know, about her Marriage situation. Marriage an economic proposition. And I, yes, I think that is the best way that sums it up. If you're just, you know, not a period drama nerd and you're listening to this podcast, well, I don't know why you'd be <laughs> listening to this particular episode, but if you don't really want to see Sense and Sensibility, just look up Little Women, Florence Pugh, you know, scene and watch that because that's a very powerful scene and kind of sums up yeah, and I think a lot of this. N- and not to stray too far away from Sense and Sensibility, but I think that was one of the reasons that aim- that... Um, Florence Pugh's version of Amy specifically stood out to so many people because in the version yes. from the 90s with like Winona Ryder and Susan Sarandon which is such a beloved version it's my mother's favorite version though I don't think she's seen yeah. the new one um, but you know she Amy's not the most likable character even when she grows up um, she doesn't get a lot of time but we spend more time with Amy as a grown up and her having that very keen self-awareness really brought something new to the character and it made her more sympathetic yeah 
Yes, because everyone was like, we hate Amy. She's evil. And, and having that more depth to her really helped, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, and it helps to um, it helps to uh, show off the relationship between her and Laurie a lot more. It helps to like really make the audience understand exactly how they fit together, which is really nice. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, since you are an Austin fan, why do you think um, Jane Austen, like the movie adaptions, the miniseries adaptions, you know, her novels, why do you think they're still popular and relevant today? <sighs> I think there's so many reasons. Um, I think that they, they do have... I've been having some discussions in my English classes recently about what the term universal means and why it's so problematic. And I, I, I want to stray away from saying that the stories are quote unquote universal, but there are elements of them that people still hold on to throughout the centuries at this point and that make them so like resonant. A lot of these stories are like the foundations mm-hmm. for so many common romance trope. Enemies to lovers, that's just Darcy and Lizzie. Um the the yeah. love at first sight sort of idea, that's Jane and Bingley. Um this will they won't all the different will they won't yeah. they tropes they're all quite prevalent here in Sense of Sensibility, especially, you know, this older man with a troubled past finding love again, like, that's in Sense of Sensibility quite clearly. It's one of the main points of the movie uh, and of the novel as well. And I think... All the different ways that people have adapted is really interesting, whether it's uh, like the miniseries for Pride and Prejudice or like this, or like the 2005 uh, Pride and Prejudice, or like the most recent Emma adaptation, which I've been meaning to watch. And uh, Christina and I, we just finished Queen's Gambit, my second re- my, my first rewatch um, of it. We just finished it yesterday, so I'm like, now I need to see her and Emma, because um, I haven't watched it yet. Like the sham oh my that I am. But um, I have not seen. Uh, I have not had a chance to watch the Queen's Gambit yet because I've been really busy. But I did see Anna Taylor Joy's version of Emma, and I, I never see. I've never seen the the version with Emma. Um, sorry, I've never seen the version with Gwyneth Paltrow from around the same time too. There was this big flux in um, Jane Austen period movies and shows in the late nineties. But anyways, I thought she did an excellent job. Yeah. So yeah, check. The, have you read Emma? The no, book? I've not. But um, Austin's been oh. ad- Austin's been adapted as well into like web series, Lizzie Bennet Diaries, Emma Approved. Um, so mm-hmm. I know the story of Emma because I watched Emma Approved when I was a teen. And the, the yeah. way that people are choosing to adapt it into these new mediums that are accessible to the generations coming in that help them discover these stories. Yeah. And they'll go back and watch the old adaptations. It's just this very cyclical nature of the, the nature of adaptation. It's this cyclical thing of like, there's a new one coming out and people get invested in the story. Oh, there's another version of this. Let mm-hmm. me watch this one. See if I like it still. See if I like it more than the version I first yeah. watched. Um, and the stories are, are just yeah. classics at this point. They've been told over and over and over again. And they've been built upon and retold so many times that they have this sort of cultural staying power in the sort of general human subconscious of this being one of the, like, quote-unquote big classics that everybody knows whether or not you like it. It's a different situation. But, like, even if somebody doesn't like... Uh, like Jane Austen, they know Pride and Prejudice. They know at least the premise of it. And I think that's why it stuck around so much and why there was such an influx in the late 90s is because people were really getting invested in these in, in these stories at that point and clearly there was a demand for it because he still kept doing well and now it's like a whole subgenre. Uh, even now on YouTube you'll see different uh, videos of people being like are these costumes historically accurate? The problem with this in this period piece, it's this whole subgenre now and it's it's gotten even more popular thanks to Bridgerton. I just saw a tweet the other day from yeah. the Bridgerton Twitter account saying that it was officially Netflix's 
Netflix's biggest series to date, beating out The Queen's Gambit. Bridgerton's been watched by 86 million households and counting. So there is still an audience for this stuff because they've been factored in from the Austin crowd, from this Downton crowd, from this period drama-loving group that hasn't gotten a big budget adaptation like this in a really long time that is really accessible because the the poor uh, most recent Emma film came out right at the start of the pandemic. It was terrible. Um, it didn't get yeah. the the, notif- the the gratification and the love it deserved from just the previews I've seen. So long story short, I think that they've they, <laughs> long story short they've stuck around so much. I think because. They've just got this cultural staying power. They've gripped people since the stories came out in the 1800s, and they're they're still gripping people today. Yeah, well, because, like you said, the stories are so familiar. And actually, Emma was... I was supposed to go see Emma in the movie theater, but I didn't end up doing it because COVID got, you know, so bad. But that was... And I felt really bad that, you know, nobody really saw it because it was just a beautiful movie. But um, I think what I also like is when they keep doing these adaptations is because everyone kind of, like with Little Women, like Florence Pugh, takes the character and does something different with it. So it's always fresh and new. And I think that's why people love it. You know, um, Lizzie in the 1995 version is a little bit different than Keira Knightley's version. And, you know, I, I just love that, that it can always be interpreted in a different way because her book books are so good and they can be seen through different lenses. And, you know, it's, they're still relevant because the problems, I know, you know, we won't have like suitors coming to our house and, you know, all this like, you know, you can't own anything or have a job. And, you know, when you're our age, the only thing you have to do is get married. And if you don't, you're considered a failure. And obviously those things aren't as accurate as they were then. But, you know, the whole idea of, like, you know, being with somebody and, you know, kind of having that quippy dialogue, like you said, between Lizzie and Darcy, or even, you know, the whole idea of liking someone, like how much Eleanor likes Edward, and then finding out, you know, he has a secret uh, secret fiancé and all these things, they're so prevalent still today. Yeah. and too, like... With the most recent Little Women, there were all these articles coming out about, like, are you more like Joe or are you more like Amy or are you more like Meg or are you more like Beth? Like, people latch on to these characters and they see elements of themselves in these characters. And that, I think, has a very large factor into it as well. Like, I relate to Lizzie quite a lot. I relate to Joe quite a lot. I There's always... A, a way for these people for, for people who watch these movies especially women who you know at the time when these books were originally published they were like oh wow I am feeling the exact same things that Lizzie is I'm feeling the exact same things that Jane mm-hmm. is I'm feeling the exact same things that Meg is and so that's sort of those themes echo what's going on today. Like, you know, you're not going to have, like you said, like we're not going to have like the, the backdrop of the civil war, like impacting what we can or can't do. We're not going to have, um, you know, worry about sisters running off with military men who only want us for money that we don't have. (laughs) But it's still an idea of like wanting to be with somebody that you like, but also that your parents approve of wanting to be, able to be independent but also have somebody you can share that independence with it's it's there are still mm-hmm. themes in there that are still really really relevant today in not just the stories but in the characters as well and i think that's definitely a large factor yeah. of it yeah and and you know everyone can relate to Marianne everyone's had that first love or that first really strong crush where you know you think you're gonna be with this person and then something comes in its way and you know maybe it won't be as dramatic like you won't be on your deathbed like Marianne but you know everyone can relate to her in a way that at least I could relate to Marianne more than I could relate to Eleanor yeah Definitely. Um, I related more to Eleanor just because I am the older sibling. So I am always the one who kind of has to be like, okay, we're not doing this right now. We're going (laughs) to change the subject. Um, And so I have had to be a little bit more of a like mothering figure at times uh, to just like keep that level head. But um, again, this is it, right? This is exactly what I'm talking about. You relate more to Marianne. I relate more to Eleanor. There Mm -hmm. are 
elements of these characters in everybody and when people see feel seen by characters no matter what they're doing or watching or reading they want to be able yeah. to talk about it with people and they want to be able to see themselves represented in some way shape or form on screen or in text form wherever it comes yes yeah and look, even two, 200 years, we were born almost 200 years after these books were published. And, you know, it's still like we can we still love them. Yeah. No, they're still they're <laughs> still like relevant today and they're being taught academically. Like I'm reading Jane Austen's Persuasion for one of my classes in a couple weeks. Uh, so mm -hmm. I have to, I actually started it this weekend so I can have it done. Um, but I, I first read Pride and Prejudice when I was in my third year university, but I knew the story going in because I loved the movie so much, and I've watched Lizzie Bennet Diaries, and the stories are so much more accessible now. Because sometimes, you know, the Regency-era style of writing is a little inaccessible, but these these movies and these TV shows and these web series make an effort to make the texts accessible in a way that they wouldn't be mm -hmm. 200 years ago when they were first published. Yes. Yeah. And different. Um, not, I'm getting off track here again, but there was this um, book that I really liked, um, Little Women, and it was Little Women and Me. And it was about this girl who loved the book Little Women. And she actually went into the story. You know, there was like a popular trend when we were like 10, 11, where you'd be in a story. So I, I'd read that book all the time and pretend I was that girl in. And of course, and of course, she changes the book and Joe and Lori end up together. And it's all fun. But it's still so popular, you know, changing the stories. Um, there was this show um, when I was younger, I think on PBS, where I should probably know the name, but it was about this woman who actually goes into the movie goes into the book Pride and Prejudice and it was just her like meeting Mr. Darcy and everything like yeah. that and it was just like people love that they all want to be in this world this kind of Austin land world yeah and even for people today you know people when when the pandemic first hit it's like oh well I have to just another Austin day I'm gonna bake some bread I'm gonna read a book I'm gonna take a walk and that's it like people, people, the, the, the work is so like ingrained in this pop culture subconscious that people just reference it without meaning to. And I think that's really neat. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what, oh, I wanted to talk about the, the very first scene of how, you know, their father is on their deathbed and we don't see the three Dashwood sisters for at least seven or eight minutes. And we just see this awful woman who is married to um, their stepbrother. And he basically gets everything because he is the male heir. And how, you know, the father wishes the three girls and the mother to have a good salary every year. And how in the like in four minutes, their salary goes down so low by each scene and how funny that is. Yeah, no, like I detest Fanny. This shouldn't be a surprise. Um, she, uh, she is the worst, uh, and I hate her so much. Um, and the fact that, like, you know, just she is a woman in a position of privilege, and one would think today with, you know, your modern sensibilities, that, you know, she would be, like, supportive of um, the women, <laughs> it, it, her, her sisters-in-law, and her mother-in-law, kind of, you know, getting, making sure that they're taken care of. But she's so manipulative in making sure that they don't get a scrap of anything. And it was so disgusting to see her, like, yeah. come in and just take over. Um, and just be so nasty to everybody in the shy, sly, Austin-Tinian way that she is. It was just heart-wrenching and infuriating. And the fact that she, like, never apologized for it. She, like, stood by it a thousand yeah. percent. And she continued to be so nasty to people who didn't agree with her. Um, poor Lucy Steele. She was, again, so, 
like nasty to Lucy when she yeah. found out that Lucy was engaged to her brother. She was so <laughs> so funny. She was so nasty. And I was like, you have no right because if you were in these girls' positions, would you not be doing the same thing that they're doing? Like, come on. Exactly. And Lucy didn't even do anything wrong. She just fell in love and got engaged. What's so wrong with that? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I know she's so awful, Fanny, and, you know, she just has everyone's wrapped around her finger, and even when she's, like, kind of invading their home because Marianne and Eleanor and the family have to leave because they don't own it, and they don't even give them a second to, like, you know, grieve their father, and Fanny says to Edward, you know, Marianne never speaks, she never says a word, and Edward's like, well, they did just lose their father, like, five days ago <laughs> whatever like it's so she's so heartless yeah it's just the worst do you think um getting back to Willoughby again do you think Willoughby really loved Marianne like do you think he actually was gonna propose to her that day <clears throat> I think that there was a strong chance I think that there might have been something, like, alluded to. Like, maybe they would have, like, discussed it amongst themselves but not said anything publicly. If there is such a... If there was such a thing of doing that at that point, well, I guess there is, because Lucy. Um, But, you know, we don't know if, if he would have proposed or how that marriage would have worked, especially... If, uh, yeah. given given his circumstances, I think we're meant to insinuate that Willoughby felt sorry for his actions um, uh, at the end mm-hmm. there when he's watching Marianne and the colonel, you know, tossing coins and just pelting people. Yeah, and Fanny's like picking it up. Pelting people <laughs> with these silver coins, okay. Um, just, um, but... <laughs> Um, and I think we're supposed to insinuate that, you know, he feels sorry and that maybe he did hold some affection for her, but I, I, I'm wary now of any Austin character who has the last name that starts with W because maybe (laughs) he just wanted her for money that he didn't know that she didn't have. Maybe, uh, because he was clearly in dire straits as well. Um, so it's hard to say whether or not he would have just been like, marrying her for convenience sake or taking advantage of her in some way, shape or form. Um, yeah, I think he definitely did hold some sort of affection for her, but maybe it's just a case of being in love with the idea of her and the idea Mm. of who Marianne could be to him, uh, as, as a means to an end. I I'd be wary of it. And not just because his last name is starting with a W. (laughs) Well, he definitely used her, and I, I, I think he, um, like you said, loved the idea of her. And there was a time where I think it could have been real, real love, you know, when he painted or she drew him, and, and you know. But I was so shocked that you know she never needed to have a chaperone with her, and he was he almost ruined her basically, you know, with their crazy um, carriage rides and everything that was going on. And I thought, wow, you know, with Bridgerton, how, how, you know, they were making such a big deal of how you need to have a chaperone. Cause if you're in a garden alone, yeah. you'll if, be you're, if you're in the same room as, a, as a, if you're like on the other side of a room from a man, but you two are alone, yeah. huh, that's it. You're done. Yeah. Scandal. You're done. You're ruined. You're pregnant. <laughs> yeah. You look at a man wrong and boom, pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what uh, that's what Daphne thinks. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> well, at least what she did think. Oh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I, I was very shocked that they never needed to have a chaperone. Yeah, me too. Uh, it was it was a little funny, but I guess because they aren't like super duper high up in society, like Daphne's father, she's the daughter of a viscount. Like, she's relatively high up in society. Um, yeah. And that things was more, like, um, that was more, like, inclined. And maybe if they were, like, in, like, London and they were, like, higher in society, that would be the case. But because they're, like, out in the country in this little cottage and they don't really have a lot of money, I feel like it was allowed to be a little more lenient. Yeah, that's true. It wasn't right in the heart of London. Um, and there was, like, 
you know, not as many busybodies. Well, they kind of had some busybodies there, but not as big in your face. Like, oh my gosh, did you see them holding hands kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's must have been it. Yeah. Um, and then that poor ballroom scene was just so heartbreaking and devastating. And, and Marianne just kept continually making a fool of herself. And then when, when Willoughby's new fiancé kind of like gives that kind of, I don't know what you call it, that, that girl look. look where you like look at a woman, yeah, up and down and just show how superior you are to them. Oh, I hate what a, that what look. What a Cressida Cowell look, honestly. What a Cressida yeah. Cowper look. Um, it was, it was, that scowl was so, was so heartbreaking especially because like I've seen I've seen quite a bit of Kate Winslet stuff now between this and the holiday and um I was about to say ever after but no she was not in ever after that was Drew Barrymore uh they look very similar though especially at that at that point in their careers um yeah but like I was oh ever after is good yeah I forgot about that comfort movie for me um, I love yeah. Ever After so much, but it, it reminded me of, you know, when, um, the, like, pretty blonde stepsister in Ever After would look down at Danielle and be like, you're nothing, you will you won't ever be on my level, um, because yeah. of who your father was and because of the status that I have, like, it's, it was so heartbreaking, because poor Marianne, she's all, she's just a, she's so baby, She's, uh, Margaret's the youngest, but she's baby. Yeah. No, Margaret's less naive than Marianne, I think. Oh, yeah. I think Marianne's the most naive one. She'd, she'd be too smart for any suitor who would dare cross her path. That would be her yeah. downfall. She'd be, like, just super hyper-intelligent, and she'd be, like, rattling off all these facts, and they'd be, like, slowly backing up to walk away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, they need to make a mini-series of just the other sister, the other Dashwood girl. It should be titled that, and then we just see a whole show about Margaret. That would be so cute. <laughs> I don't know if they'll ever I, I don't know that. if they'll ever do like a spin-off of Austin so. without like the Austin text to go off of cuz people have so many yeah. different varying interp- interpretations of the characters, but I think that, you know, maybe at some point, I'm sure that fan fiction's been written. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. She was so interesting to me. But I was wondering, because we kind of, like, it was so wrapped up quickly about um, Colonel Brandon and Marianne's kind of quick relationship and then their marriage. But do you think she loved him or do you think she just settled for Colonel Brandon? I think that, you know, uh, he was a, he was a constant uh, he was a pretty big constant for for the sisters. He helped them out so much and clearly like listened and cared. Um, I think that in some respects she did love him. Um, and because he was a former soldier and had good money, that sort of like sweetened the pot. Um, and... I, th- mm. I think I think that there's definitely like a level of affection there that makes the marriage valid and I'm sure that they'll be happy together or whatever but um I feel like again we see so little of Colonel Brandon and Marianne actually interacting whereas like in Pride and, in the 2005 yeah. Pride and Prejudice I'm going to keep comparing it cuz I love that one so much we see like even we see Bingley and Jane interacting so much yeah. together and they're so sweet together every time um so to, to just to like the the lack of amount of time spent with the respective love interests um and like between them time spent between them um i think really undercuts the romantic uh elements of the movie because it's it seems very rushed and very forced and like we're following a script and that the drama of it took more precedence. I feel like what the 2005 Pride and Prejudice does really well is it's an even it's an even 50-50 split. It's an even split yeah. between like the drama of Lizzie and Darcy's situation and discovering more about Darcy and then the whole Lydia Wickham situation, but there's also like that even split of the romance of it and watching Darcy and Lizzie fall in love with each other and refuse to admit it until it's too late um, or just the right moment. And then watching Jane and Bingley absolutely fall for each other. And the anticipation of that, it just, it hits a better balance, I think, than this one. Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I I think there is room for love, and I think they like. I think he loves her, and I think she could love him. But you know, it's not that same like oh my god, love at first sight that she had with Willoughby. Oh, definitely. That not. really just captivated her heart. Um, it'll never be like that kind of power. No, and I mean it's okay if it's not. People fall in love with people yeah. in different ways. So I feel like. I feel like for Marianne and the Colonel, it's going to end up being more of a bit of a slow burn of like, as they discover more and more about each other, they're going to be more and more in love. And maybe like 10 years down the line, they're besotted with each other. Can't, won't ever be in a room without each other. Um, but I think at the start of the marriage, yeah. it might be a little rough just because there is such an age difference. And the, there, it, it is a case of, you know, they, they are, they're, they're two very different people and we don't see how much time they spent actually courting each other before they got married. Yeah. Uh, I uh, The last scene I really want to talk about that I always find really funny is when Edward finally appears again halfway, like you said, the third act, and he thinks he's just going to be seeing Eleanor, and then Lucy is kind of behind the door, and I just find that scene... <laughs> He's so funny when he just kind of sits down and like all these women are all over him. You know, Marion's like, oh my God, Edward, you're back. And then Lucy's kind of sitting there awkwardly and, 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 um, uh, Marianne's, um, Eleanor's sitting there awkwardly and he just literally sits down for two seconds and he's like, well, I'm off yeah, now. Yeah. It's so. like those stories you hear about how like when a girl discovered, like a girl meets with the girl that her boyfriend is cheating on her with and they like corner him basically. Yeah. It, it felt very much like that. Um, <laughs> and so that was, that was a good chuckle, but I kept being like, Oh, poor, poor Eleanor. She, she's been sitting on this for so long and she's just going to like, let this happen. She can't say anything yeah. about this because she and Lucy are friends and she doesn't want to ruin that. A poor yeah. thing. Like she's, she's so, she's got her head on so like tight and she's such a people pleaser that it is like her greatest asset and her biggest downfall. Yes. And I love the scene where she says to Marianne when it's finally out there that he and Lucy were engaged, how she's like, you know, this has been pressing on me and all I ever hear about is Willoughby, Willoughby, Willoughby. And, you know, Marianne is very self-centered and she doesn't really ask Eleanor how she's feeling and how she's doing. She's very much me, 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 which she, you know... It's not totally her fault because Eleanor also kind of doesn't share things as much. But, you know, the, I found that scene very powerful where she's like, you know, I've had, had this pressing on me for so long. And uh, she kept yeah. it a secret. Whereas if that would happen to Marianne, Marianne would just spill the beans. Yeah, right away. Marianne wouldn't hold back. And I think that's the really compelling no. difference between the two sisters in that they are very much two sides of the same coin. And it's really interesting to watch them interact yeah. because, you know, even they are, even though they are so different, I like to think that Marianne recovered solely because of Eleanor's love for her. Like that was the love oh. that pushed her over because I love her. I love yeah. the Frozen franchise and I'm here yeah. for more sisterly love in period romances as opposed to the yeah. love between a heterosexual couple. Familial affection is just as important, if not more important. Yes. And Marianne and Eleanor mm -hmm. rely on each other so so much they are each other's confidant in every single meaning of the word and so to the fact that like after eleanor has this like cute plea to a basically dying marianne like don't leave me i can't do this without you like please stay the next morning she's like on the road to recovery like that to me yes. was like the most powerful moment of the movie, definitely. Because I was so worried they were gonna pull a like Beth and kill her off. I was so worried. I was like, "Are we about to see Kate Winslet die? What's going on here?" But she doesn't, so I was fine. <laughs> and I loved that it was like, yeah, I loved that it was Eleanor who was by her side and not the Colonel, not Willoughby. It was nobody but those two sisters, and it really hammers home yeah. that at the end of the day, the story is about them. It's not about, like, them and their respective love interests. It is them at the end of the day. Yeah, their bond is so strong. Um, very, very strong. And like like Lizzie and Jane's are strong, too. I find that Eleanor and Marion are really their rocks for one another. And it was really nice to see that sisterly love. Because I've never, uh, I always say my dog is my sister, but I'm an only child, so I, I don't know what it's like to have a, a sibling or have a sister. So it's nice to see these things yeah. show that. Definitely. 
And I would, I just want to talk about quickly that last kind of, would you, do you call it a cheesy line when Hugh Grant proposes to Eleanor and, and he says, um, Eleanor, my heart is and always will be yours. <laughs> what do you think of that line? Well, it took him long enough. He only had to leave yeah. for most of the movie <laughs> to figure it out, I guess. Um, <clears throat> you know what? And, and it's finally got it out of yeah, him. It's, it's not as satisfying as the end of Pride and Prejudice with Lizzie and Darcy. Um, and when Lizzie says to him, you know, um, you must only call me Mrs. Darcy when you're adamantly in love with me. Like that is so, that's so good. That last exchange between them is so good. And they're, they're, their declaration yeah. for each other is so lovely. I don't know. It felt very underplayed just because, like, Eleanor is in, like, hysterics. Like, she barely lets him get it out. Uh, I feel like it's very undercut by the, <laughs> the by the hysterics of Eleanor. Um, and that was probably a line ripped straight from Austin. And I it is, like, very swoon with it. Don't get me wrong. But with just, like, the over-the-topness of Eleanor and how she's, like, not shutting up to let him get it out, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. sure. I'll, I'll buy this because we're in the last five minutes of this movie. Whatever. And he seems he seems so frightened because I don't think Eleanor's ever cried, and this is like making up for all that time she's been repressed. And he like literally seems frightened when <laughs> she starts crying. But yeah, the, I think the line's pretty spoon worthy. I mean, this is prime Hugh Grant time. He pulls it off. Yeah, definitely. And I think if she if. If, if he'd been a little louder and less like, oh my god, what's happening, uh, then it might have come off a little nicer. But it works at the end of the day. I think it worked. Yeah. Yeah, you pulled it off. Well, uh, before The Last Judgment, I have some facts here that I googled. Uh, do you want to hear them about the movie? Yeah, sure. So, um, Thompson, uh, Emma Thompson, um, did this wrote the whole screenplay for this movie, and it took her five years. Whoa, 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 whoa! Um, it ended Emma? up winning. Emma wrote the screenplay for yeah. this. Yes, Emma Thompson. She did. It took her five years apparently, oh. and she won um, best uh, best screenplay at the Oscars and a Golden Globe for it. Whoa! Um, but yeah, she uh, she wrote this, which is really cool that she did it, and she's also the only or maybe the first person to win um, an Oscar in acting and writing. Well, no ever. wonder she cast herself as Eleanor. She was probably yeah. reading all of Eleanor's lines out loud as she was writing them. <laughs> She's like, well, I don't think I can pull up Marianne now with my age, so I guess I'll be Eleanor. <laughs> I don't think I can be Margaret. <laughs> um, yeah, so she worked on that. Um, Ang Lee is the director, and he pretty much asked... Emma Thompson to write Edward for Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant pretty much was written for the part, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Kate Winslet, because she was, this is pre-Titanic days, uh, this was her first, basically her first movie. She actually auditioned for the part of Lucy, and that's Edward's secret fiance. Um, but when she arrived for the reading, she pretended that there was a mix-up with the script and she read for Marion instead. And it was like, oh, well, my agent told me I was reading for Marion and she got the part, which is really cool. Yeah, well, that's great because, like, she does so well with Marianne. She does a really, really good job. And I really, really liked her in this, in this, in, in this role. I think it sets a really good precedent for what she's able to do going forward. Yeah, definitely. Um... And the scene when Willoughby rescues Marianne, um, it took 50 takes, and she ended up getting hypothermia. Ah! Again, like, Kate Winslet doesn't have any luck with water. Oh, God. <laughs> and, like, imagine how much that must have just, like, sucked to be, like, standing out in the rain oh, all day God. and falling over and over and over and over again, and maybe <sighs> having it work out. Like, that had to be the worst. Did they really need 50 takes? That was the worst day. Like, I, I like a maximum yeah. of five takes. Like, we, I, I would be like, okay, we have to get it in five takes or we're just going to scrap this scene and try it another day. Like, we can't <laughs> keep doing this. Yeah, I know. It's so awful because it, apparently it also was only shot in 65 days. So it's like, well, when did she have time to get you know, hypothermia. Yeah. <laughs> she probably was really sick in those six scenes. It was probably, 
it was probably honestly one of the last things they shot so like it yeah. was like the her last day on set <laughs> bye kate have a hypothermia yeah yeah <laughs> the movie's over it's fine now it's all we wanted of you <laughs> and we already said how uh, emma thompson is married to um greg wise who plays willoughby um, but they also, all the cast had to go to movement classes to help them learn to walk, bow, and sit up straight, which I, I find really hilarious just imagining, like, Hugh Grant and Alan Rickman going to those. Yeah, well, that makes sense, though, because it's so particular um. and it's so, like, rigid that if they're, this, this film really went for the historical accuracy, so I can appreciate the attention to detail. Yeah, I, I can too. Um, and then the last fact I have is Thompson and Winslet lived together during the 65 day shoot oh, to become closer. That's Which is cute. really cute. Their chemistry together was really, really lovely. So, like, you could, it, it paid off, definitely. They really did feel like yes. sisters. Um, do you want to move on to the last judgment now? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, did Sense and Sensibility move you or not? I think it did. You know, for all its. For all its flaws, I think definitely, like, talking it out with somebody who has seen the movie has made me appreciate it a lot more. And I think when I'm not bogged down with schoolwork, I'll give it another go. And maybe I'll read the book. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, for me, too, it's always moved me. I watched this before I read the book. I, I read the book twice in high school. And um, I do find it very rewatchable. It's something that I can just put in. I haven't seen this at least for two years now, but it's just something that I can put in and just listen to the beautiful score by Patrick Doyle. Mm -hmm. It's so nice. And just hear kind of the banter. Um, sometimes I skip some some scenes, usually with Fanny, and <laughs> don't want to see those. But I love the cinematography. Um, I love the costumes. And I just love the whole feel. I, I, and also, everybody's so perfect for their role, I feel. Even though you know at times it's just kind of awkward between Alan Rickman and Kate Winslet though there were some things I would have changed there but uh Alan Rickman on his own is really good as Colonel Brandon and they're all really good together yeah and I just loved little Margaret she's the highlight of the movie for me <laughs> best part so yeah definitely definitely moves me yeah for sure um yeah, and like I said, um, it actually, I googled just quickly while we were talking here, it got nominated for seven Academy Awards, only one for Best Screenplay, but Emma Thompson got nominated for Best Actress of 1996, uh, Kate Winslet got nominated for Best Supporting Actress, um, and then Best Costume Design got nomination, Best Original Score, so we did get a nomination, Best Cinematography, and um, it was a nomination for Best picture but did not win except for screenplay so thought that was very interesting it was a, probably a tough year in 1996 <laughs> cool awesome well i want to thank you for coming back on the show Hannah. yeah absolutely it was a fun time and i want to thank you all for listening and i hope you enjoyed our podcast on sense and sensibility don't forget to click the subscribe button